Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. From the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network for movie talk, Alicia Malone with Scott Movie Mance and the Schmoes Know, this is Profile. In-depth spotlights on the greatest filmmakers and artists in motion picture history. Hello, Profilers and Great Scott. Great Scott. Who are we profiling today, Alicia Malone? Oh, this is heavy. This is heavy. There's that word again, heavy. Is there something wrong with the Earth's gravitational pull in the year 2015? Well, of course, we're talking about Robert, Robert Zemeckis. whose new movie, The Walk, is in theaters right now. Make sure you see it in IMAX 3D. But I've been wanting to do Robert Zemeckis on Profiles for a while. You have. Because I, I really, if you look at his filmography, the 17 feature films that he's directed. Only 17. It feels like a lot. Only 17. But he's such a great director. He is a visual effects pioneer, but he never lets the effects get in the way of telling a really strong story with fully realized characters. But regardless, this is a director who, with literally each passing film, he has raised the bar, in this case, literally, with The Walk. (laughs) Uh Yeah, he's a visual storyteller, and every one of his films have advanced visual effects and storytelling in one way or another. I mean, he does effects so well mixed with quite high concepts but at the base they have a very simple story you know he does like plane crashes time travel (laughs) tunes and humans tightrope walking young Meryl Streep um, you know, an, an average man put into history of the world and, and performance capture animation as well. It's incredible what he, he's done for the art form. When you look at the, the way he has continually pushed the boundaries, like the way he, he mixed animation with live action with Roger Rabbit, which still holds up. Then he does two back-to-back shoots for Back to the Futures 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. I think that was the first time that was ever done. And then you look at, like, Forrest Gump, which was such a uh, an innovative movie in CGI. And just it just keeps going from there. He did those three motion capture films, Polar Express, uh, Beowulf, and Christmas, uh, Carol. Christmas Carol. And I, I just, I mean, I love his movies from the very beginning, which brings us to our... Well, firstly, can I just do something I didn't expect to do? Please do. I'm going to quote Kanye West yeah, okay. right now. <laughs> let's let's hear this. This I got to hear. <laughs> because Kanye West just saw The Walk and he tweeted, Robert Zemeckis is a truly inventive filmmaker and captivating storyteller he's one of my favorite directors of all time and i have to say i agree with kanye west yes a freaking endorsement if it comes from kanye west and robert zemeckis is such a nice guy too every time i've interviewed him super nice guy he's so excited about the work he's lovely to talk to and he always takes six characters on a spiritual journey and that's what i love even though he puts them in unbelievable circumstances well just like the characters in his films robert zemeckis has now indeed we can do it. Has a wonderful, wonderful life. life. <laughs> so let's roll. It's a wonderful life. Robert Zemeckis. Robert Lee Zemeckis was born on May 14, 1951 in Chicago, Illinois to parents Rose and Alphonse Zemeckis. As a child, Zemeckis loved television and was inspired to film family events like birthdays and holidays with his parents' 8mm home movie camera. 
but it was only after seeing Bonnie and Clyde with his father that he really set his sights on the movies and decided he wanted to go to film school. Zemeckis enrolled at the University of Southern California's School of Cinematic Arts, where he won a Student Academy Award for his student film, A Field of Honor. That brought him to the attention of Steven Spielberg, who became his friend, mentor, and executive producer of his first two critically acclaimed feature films, 1978's I Want to Hold Your Hand and 1980's Used Cars. His box office breakthrough didn't come until 1984, thanks to the hit film Romancing the Stone. That gave him the clout to direct a time travel story the following year called Back to the Future, which was the first of many game changers, not only for Zemeckis, but for the film industry as a whole. Whoa, Doc, that's heavy. Robert Zemeckis won an Academy Award for directing 1994's Forrest Gump, and he was nominated one other time with Bob Gale for their screenplay for Back to the Future. Caitlin, Caitlin Bonds. Who is uh, Caitlin Bonds is watching live now on YouTube. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline forgot my computer but i'm watching your comments on my phone says this score the chills of course the score for back to the future which is awesome and danny b review says this theme just screams adventure well we are glad you like the score because we'll be talking about that score and many many others coming up very very soon on this very special robert zemeckis episode of profiles but what i want to know from you alicia malone (laughs) the first Zemeckis movie you ever saw. What was it? Where was it? What was your feeling? It was Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Okay. My dad loved this movie, so we used to watch it all the time at home. It was on VHS. I think it was taped from TV. (laughs) And so we watched it again and again and again. And I fell in love with this movie, and I think it's because it combines my two favorite things at that time, which was classic movies and also cartoons. right. (laughs) Because I was only about seven or eight at the time. I loved it, and I was so fascinated by the mixture of live action and then the traditional animation. It was seamlessly done. Of course, I loved Jessica Rabbit, so many years later I tried to uh, copy her hairstyle, though it's not quite long yet, but I absolutely adored this film. I loved it too. I remember that movie came out in 1988. It was such a groundbreaker, but for me, my first blood for Robert Zemeckis was also his first blood. Yeah. His directorial debut, I Want to Hold Your Hand. Which I've never seen, but does it, does it have something to do with the Beatles? Wait a minute. What is that? Alicia Malone, you said you never saw I Want to Hold Your Hand? Never seen well, it. Well, today oh. is your lucky day. Yes, the DVD. I have for you. In your hands. In my hands. In my hot little hands. Yes. The movie, I Want to Hold Your Hand, which combines two of my favorite things, <laughs> movies and the, the Beatles. Beatles. Okay. And I give this movie a ton of credit for not Can I only... Watch it? Yes, I want you to watch this movie. I want you to tweet it 
out when you see it and let me know what you think. This movie, I'm telling you, is the reason I became the diehard Beatle maniac you see before really? yourself today. Because what? what this movie does, it captures the infectious spirit of Beatlemania. February of 1964, when the Beatles first came to the USA, it's about these five teenagers who will do anything, and I mean anything, to get into the Ed Sullivan show to watch them oh, on February 9th. But it's the fun. It's the vibrancy. It's the infectiousness of of fandom that applies to anything yeah. that anyone will relate to watching this movie. You don't have to be a Beatles fan at all. It's the fun and infectious spirit. And also, even back on his first movie, <laughs> the way he kind of shot around the Beatles, because you only see the Beatles themselves when they're on television. Mm-hmm. And you'll know why when you see it. But I love this movie. It is so, so fun to watch. Okay, I didn't have to it. rewatch it again for this, but I did anyway, <laughs> because it is that good. That doesn't surprise me. Well, let's get into some other movies we rewatched, starting with our Fast Five number, number five, five, which is I'm sorry, Wilson. Wilson, I'm sorry. Wilson gets you First every time, time, doesn't it? Castaway. Castaway came out December 22nd, 2000. Two Oscar nominations for Best Sound and Best Actor for Tom Hanks. Cost $90 million to make. Box office worldwide was $430 million. Well, it's a very emotional, dramatic movie. I think it's Robert Zemeckis' most heartfelt most uh, probably most dramatic and definitely the quietest movie that he's made. I mean, it has that terrifying plane crash at the start, which is so realistic and it definitely shows uh, the visual effects side of Robert Zemeckis. But then the rest of it is just basically Tom Hanks holding the screen by himself. And we've spoke about this in our Tom Hanks episode, but man, he does such a brilliant job. He really does. And, and he holds the show and, and makes you believe in a man and a volleyball he and friends. Makes you believe. <laughs> I mean, that's the amazing thing is that the, he he really conveys that that relationship with Wilson. But a lot of bold choices here on Zemeckis's part. The first, of course, is that the entire time that that uh, Tom Hanks's character Chuck Noland is on the island, there's no score. Yeah. And when he's not talking to Wilson, he's not really talking to anybody. The other thing is that he shot the movie, took a break so Tom Hanks could could lose all that weight, took a year-long break, and then picked up production after Tom Hanks lost the weight. In that time, he used the same film crew to do another film that we love, What What Lies Lies Beneath. Beneath. But it is is a very bold movie, and uh, I know we did talk about this in our our Hanks profile, Mm -hmm. but Chuck Nolan, abbreviated, is C. Noland, or C. No land. land. And it blows my mind every time. Very clever. Very simple. But I think Robert Zemeckis, what he does so well is he has this air of magic throughout his films. And there's a little piece of magic when it comes to Tom Hanks and Wilson, for me personally. But it also reminds you that the the little things that we squabble about day to day aren't that important in the end. It's all about the big things and the things that will get you through if you so happen to be stuck on an island. Did you know that the screenwriter... William Broyles Broyles Jr. stranded himself on the beach for a week to research the film. A week. He got off easy. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But one of my other favorite scenes of that film is when when Hanks makes it off, like when he uses that that porta potty thing to get past the waves. Yes. And he's 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 sort of rowing away from the island. Uh And then he looks back on the island. And sad. And he's he like 
it finally hits him. He's processing that this was his home for these four years. Mm-hmm. And then the score by Alan Silvestri kicks back in and it really does tuck at your heartstrings. It Entertainment does. Weekly gave this movie an A minus back in 2000, calling it an ambitious existential epic. Robert Zemeckis tells his story with a control magnificent in what isn't shown as much as what is shown. Well, Jen Kemp, who is watching live on YouTube, says, I'm really interested in the rest of the Fast Five. I would have had this at number two. (laughs) Um, But uh, also, is there a statistic for a spike in Wilson sales after this movie? I think so. Oh, absolutely. I think it's one of the best uh, product placements we've seen in a movie where it's seamlessly and, and you have an emotional connection a product. And as you know, because he's home with you, yeah, they made Wilson. Wilson volleyballs that we actually had in studio with us when we did our Tom Hanks profile. Yes. Caitlin Bonds loves Castaway. My favorite Zemeckis film is absolutely Castaway. Tom Hanks, who is a master of the everyman character, tugs on the heartstrings of the viewer as you watch him struggle to adapt to this new world that lacks a sense of time, which used to consume his life. The visuals are stunning. The score is emotional when it kicks in near the end. And the performances, not only of Hanks, but also Helen Hunt, are fantastic. This quote never fails to bring tears to my eyes. Quote, and I know what I have to do now. I got to keep breathing because tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide could bring? Unquote. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's a good quote. Whew. Well, Justin Aoti says, Castaway is an amazing film. The way Zemeckis encapsulated Tom Hanks as a man stranded on an island was fantastic. The relationship between Hanks and Wilson was surprisingly powerful, and Zemeckis captured Hanks' emotion, made you feel for the volleyball. If you can make a volleyball a powerful character, you're something special. You're onto something. That's very, very true. But but so many great scenes in these movies. I, I know. Mean, Wilson's one of them. Wilson's one of them. The plane crash in both, obviously, Castaway, but also Flight is another one. Yeah. What is your well? I was I was right thinking stuff. about um, the the bottle in flight <laughs> as well. That little mini bar bottle, which is on the top of the fridge, which you watch and and anticipation, hoping that he doesn't take the bottle to go back to drinking, and then you just see the hand swipe it. That scene I think is brilliant. But oh, that's a good one. I'm going to choose the tightrope walk in the walk. Oh, great! Because it great. was so terrifying that I couldn't even watch. I had to keep. Taking my glasses off, looking away. I was sitting next to JTE from Schmozno and I was like, just saying, no, no, the whole time. No, it's so good. It's so realistic. It looks seamless, the visual effects. It puts you up on top of the Twin Towers and makes you realize what an incredible and scary feat Philippe Petit did. Yeah, I can't believe it. I was just in New York and I visited the memorial. and, And firstly, you can't believe that those. Those buildings were so huge to begin with, and it's a massive hole in the New York landscape. And I like how the film, The Walk, really touches on that in a nice way. In a nice way. But also I was looking up going, I cannot imagine what it must have been like to see him walk across the towers with a tightrope. It's amazing. But The Walk is just another example of why Zemeckis was just such a masterful filmmaker because the whole time you're watching the movie, like I didn't think about – about the effects at all. Like, everything was so visceral. It felt so real. Yeah. And that last real. moment in the film definitely did tug at the heartstrings. I know. What's uh, your right stuff? My right stuff is from What Lies Beneath. Yeah. The bathtub scene. Oh, yeah. That was one... First of all, What Lies Beneath is a very underrated film. Mm-hmm. It is a fantastic movie. It is a love letter... To Hitchcock. To Hitchcock. <laughs> I mean, you've got Vertigo. You've got Psycho. You've got Rear Window. Uh-huh. And this movie did for bathtub what Psycho did for showers. Sort Particularly, of. well... I don't know if it had 
that much of an effect. But if you love the movie, <laughs> it does. Yeah, yeah. Especially that last scene, without giving too much away, when Michelle Pfeiffer's character has been drugged and she's in the bathtub, she can't move a muscle, but the bathtub water is filling up. And if she doesn't move, she's going to drown. Yeah, that's scary. But then she's like able to move her foot a little bit mm-hmm. and just the intensity. Again, no music during this moment. But I remember watching it just go like, oh my God, get out of the bathtub. Get out. But it's just one of the great scenes of Robert Zemeckis movies yeah that's that is a good scene should we do some quick last details let's do it what do some you got trivia about robert zemeckis did you know zemeckis was supposed to direct cocoon but when producers saw a rough cut of romancing the stone they thought romancing the stone would be a flop so they hired ron howard instead but i can see zemeckis doing cocoon i could see zemeckis doing cocoon yeah. and i'm glad he didn't do cocoon yeah because he did another movie that came out around that time exactly that was much 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 better <laughs> um yeah, i was going to read to you that's my one of my last details but you beat me to it miss <laughs> uh speaking of uh, what lies beneath that harrison ford and michelle pfeiffer were robert zemeckis's one and only choices to play Claire and Norman Spencer in that film and he got what he wanted. Nice. I love that movie. I love it. Well, let's keep going with things and uh, go to our Fast Five number four, which is... These were Italian. Now they're practical. (laughs) Uh, Romancing the Stone. Romancing the Stone released March 30th, 1984. I love this movie. It's obviously Indiana Jones. I don't want to say rip off, but it's not. It's not because the screenplay was actually written years before, years before Indiana Jones. Of the Lost Ark. Exactly. And that's a really interesting story within itself. Waitress <laughs> Diane Thomas, she was working yeah, as a waitress, but she decided to write and she wrote a couple of scripts. And this one got picked up by Michael Douglas to produce just a week after she finished it. Then, sadly, she died in a car crash just after the film's release. But this was a huge hit, oh, wow. this movie. Oh, my goodness. I know. Crazy. Wow. So they well, dedicated the sequel to her. Well, it cost $10 million to make. It made $87 million worldwide. One Oscar nomination for editing, but it did win two Golden Globes, one of them for Best Picture Comedy, and the other for Best Actress in a Comedy, Kathleen Turner. This is a fun movie. It's charming. This is a breakthrough movie on three levels. For one thing, it was Robert Zemeckis' first box office hit. Exactly. That gave him the clout to direct his next movie, which we'll talk about quite a bit later on in the show. Yes. But it also was a breakthrough through from Michael Douglas as an actor. Yes. Because even though he had won an Oscar for producing One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, even though he had done acting, he was in films like The China Syndrome, mm-hmm. and he had done, obviously, TV's The Streets of San Francisco, this made him a romantic leading man mm-hmm. as his career really took off from there. And then, of course, Kathleen Turner, this totally made her a star and a huge, huge sex symbol. Exactly. Of course, Zemeckis will work with her again as she voiced Jessica Rabbit in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yes, I was going to say that. I mean, some other people considered before Michael Douglas was uh, a, um, Harrison Ford. Of course. Uh, of course. Um, <laughs> but he I did like, that already. <laughs> I like this one. Um, yeah, Clint Eastwood, Burt Reynolds, and then Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone? Which I cannot imagine Sylvester Stallone doing this role. role. So when they all passed on it, then Michael Douglas was able to star. And I think without this film being such a hit, we may never have heard of Zemeckis again because his first two movies... Were flops. Yeah, they weren't big hits. So if this one had failed as well, he would not have gotten the chance to direct these next few films, which of course would not have given us some of the best films of the 80s and the 90s. And interestingly, Alan Silvestri was hired to write... 
a temporary score for the film. But when Zemeckis heard it, he loved it. He hired him on this. And then for every future Zemeckis film from then on in. I also love that this movie is about a romance novelist who's very sheltered. She gets to go out in the world and she meets a guy who seems like the guys that she writes about but isn't completely, but then it turns out it kind of is. I like the way it's all structured and it comes full circle. It's a fun movie. It's charming. It's exciting. It's fun. Danny DeVito is hilarious in the film. We got no love for it on our um, Facebook page, but uh, a lot of other people on YouTube are saying, I've never heard of this, and other people saying, definitely have to watch it. It's great. Well, Roger Ebert sure loved it. He said, after all the Raiders of the Lost Ark ripoffs, it's fun to have an adventure film that deserves the comparisons that has the same spirit and sense of humor. Mm -hmm. And before we move on with our show. Time to take care of some business, Alicia. Do it. Okay, we got to talk about iTunes. Make sure you go to iTunes and subscribe to Profile. Subscribe we like to Profile. Number six, which we is were number exciting. Six. We were number six. That gets a high five right there. Woo! Okay, the drinking games have begun. Uh, make sure you subscribe to Profiles, rate and review us on iTunes. We need these ratings and reviews to survive. Make sure you go to YouTube. You're probably doing that right now, watching us on youtube.com backslash popcorn talk network subscribe to profiles on youtube and make sure you share profiles with your film friends and ask them to share with their (laughs) friends i I mean it don't think someone else is going to do it please be proactive and do it yourself go to our facebook page Uh our facebook page is profiles with malona mance and Right now, we are very, very excited because we talk so much about Alan Silvestri. We are so excited to welcome right now on Profiles, longtime collaborator with Robert Zemeckis, composer Alan Silvestri. Alan, welcome to Profiles. You are on with Scott and Alicia. Hi, guys. Nice to be here. So nice to talk to you. I mean, your relationship with Robert Zemeckis is one of the most uh, incredible director-composer collaborations. Why would you say you guys work so well together? Well, you know, we had uh, our start uh, about 31 years ago on Romancing the Stone. Uh, it was uh, it was a very uh, nerve-wracking experience. Uh, <laughs> Experience. I think all films are, and when you're with someone new, it's especially difficult. <laughs> uh, but Bob and I kind of worked our way through, and it had a happy ending. The film was successful, and uh, I think we really enjoyed the collaboration. And, uh, and uh, when it came time for Back to the Future... Uh, I was lucky enough to be invited out again. Yes. Well, let's let's talk about. I mean, your score for Back to the Future is absolutely extraordinary. You know, how did that score evolve into what it is? Because it's just one of the most recognizable film themes in in Hollywood history. Well, you know, Bob had, I think, the real key to the uh, the tone of the score. Um, he. He knew he had big story themes, but he also knew that he didn't have a lot of big images in the film. Um, So I remember him saying, you know, Al, you've got to give us a sense of size and scope in the picture that we might not always have visually. And of course, you know, we're dealing with great heroism and, and great friendship. So the archetypes of the story were large. 
And uh, in the end, it, it allowed us to have some pretty big sounding music. Yes, I also like the uh, the love theme for Doc Brown. Can you talk a bit about composing that? For Back to the Future Part 3, yeah. Yes, that was great. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the great things about having more than one chance to visit characters, and, and in Back to the Future we had three installments, one of the great things is you have a chance to expand on characters that are already loved. And you get to, to find some deeper layers in their in their character. And certainly, we were all in love with Doc after Back to the Future One, and we loved watching Doc be in love. <laughs> and so uh, that that theme was very very childlike, innocent, lovely um, uh, piece of music for a very lovely, simple. Uh, guy and uh that's why i think it kind of worked for him well it, it absolutely did work and just to hear the back to the future score evolve from the first movie to the third movie especially you know we were talking about it before we rolled on the show today that last scene when the train is pushing the delorean to 88 miles per hour it is it's such an exciting <laughs> scene it's got such a great score to it well you know bob Bob kind of really prepares the way for someone who does what I do. You know, the excitement, uh, the architecture is all there. You really just have to follow his lead. And, uh, you know, as you, as you continue through a trilogy like that, you really try to keep things that are familiar, just like the characters. But, of course, we're always going into new situations, so new themes need to be created. But it's 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 wonderful to have a chance to keep revisiting uh, some of these other thematic elements that uh, kind of tie the whole thing together in the end. And I imagine it's also great to work on all these different films because you get to try new things, like your jazz-inspired score for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Can you talk about creating that? Well, you know, once again, um, I'm following uh, Bob Zemeckis on his journey here, and uh, and and Roger Rabbit was a very different kind of project, and I know that Bob was looking almost for this kind of film noir sensibility yes. in that in that film. There were some rather dark sides to uh, Roger Rabbit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and there's something about the, that jazz influence that, in a way, is, is uh, very much like the orchestra. It, it has a timeless aspect to it. And it also says, you know, urban, and it says, you know, the dark city. So it seemed to be a good direction to uh, explore for that film. Well, Forrest Gump, uh, you were nominated for your score for Forrest Gump. Talk about a movie that is special on so many levels. I mean, like, what was the, like, what did you and Bob discuss about the approach you were going to take to Forrest Gump? And when did you realize that everything about this movie, the performances, the direction, and the score were really going to be special? Well, you know, that, that film started score wise for me with, uh, with the very opening of the film. And at the time, there was no feather. Uh, that was going to be computer-generated. And so 
on the very first day, Bob stood in front of a monitor and ran the sequence, and he used his hand to indicate how the feather was going to walk through this this uh, this scene. And so that was the place I started, and uh, that feather theme, you know, the thought at the time when I first found that, the thought was, well, now I've kind of got the key to this film, and little did I know that... Uh, I would never be able to use that theme again until the very end of the film. Wow. <laughs> it, really just, it, was, it was kind of disappointing, uh, but that's the way it worked out. And, and in terms of when did we know, um, we were at the very first uh, preview of uh, Forrest Gump. I believe it was in San Jose. And it's the usual kind of situation where filmmakers walk in after everyone in the theater is seated and so we come in it's usually dark and the film started and it was very early in its in its life cycle it was not a finished edit by any means the music was mostly temp the effect shots were were not finished and many were not even there but when the film ended the audience stood up and turned around because they knew the filmmaker, which was Bob, was in the audience, and they spontaneously started applauding. Wow. wow. And none of us had ever seen anything like that. Wow, so that's I, awesome. I would, I would have to say that that's when we all went, oh, something's up here. <laughs> uh, we've, never quite, we've never quite seen that before. And, of course, something was up in the end. That's proven. That's so great. And another really special film is, of course, another film with Tom Hanks, Castaway. And something that is Mm -hmm. so powerful in that movie is the lack of score or when the score comes in and when it's not Mm -hmm. there. What was behind that decision? Was that always there from the start? Well, no, not really. I mean, as you probably know, Bob shot that film in two pieces. Because mm-hmm. in between the first half and the second half, Tom had to lose some ungodly amount of weight. It might have been as much as 55 or 60 pounds. Yeah. And I remember seeing the first half of the film and thinking, hmm, I, I don't really, I'm not hearing music in all of this. Yeah. And so when it was finally completed and we watched it, we really didn't have any... Um, prior opinions about what we would find. And I remember spotting it, sitting there with Bob, just the two of us watching it. And I'm I'm well into the film. And he keeps looking at me <laughs> as if to say, Al, really? Thinking <laughs> of playing here? And, you know, it's interesting. Um, the spot really felt right, which was when uh, Tom had broken through that wave and and even there, it wasn't the moment. The moment really seemed to be when he looked back at the island. And I really think the reason that that, that worked was because even as terrible as it was and as lonely and all the rest, there was a sense of control in that character's life that he still maintained. And it was only when he decided that 
the unknown and even death would be better than one more day of this existence. Mm. That was really the point, I think, where the movie began in some very profound way and, and his real journey began. And so that seemed to be the place to, uh, to begin to play that side of his journey. And, uh, and Bob, it was very daring, I think, on Bob's part to, to allow that. Uh, I know there was pressure to just be playing music on the island and, and you know, doing what people would normally do. And he really stuck to his guns, and it was a big decision. And I think the film was better for having waited to bring that element in when we did. Well, we, we completely agree. We were just talking about this, uh, about that moment when he gets away and he looks back on the island. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one of the other films that we were just talking about, and I remember when I saw The Walk, I was, at the, I was in New York. I saw it at the New York Film Festival on, on, yeah. September, on September 29th. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. it, it was so – that movie really had a very big profound effect on me. And when I watch movies, yeah. I take notes, and I specifically took notes – on your score because I loved the the balance of whimsy versus the the, the way that it felt like a heist movie in some ways. Mm-hmm. So what was behind yeah, like yeah. The, your your approach in that area, especially the heist part? Well, you know, the heist part, um, first of all, we were in the seventies, um, and you can see the way Bob shot this that there was a kind of fun, playful aspect to it, even though it was business. Um, you know, the idea of Philly dressing up in costumes and impersonating reporters and people like that, it had a kind of fun, whimsical side to it. Um, but as that film progresses, as you know, um, the coup continues, but things, as we get closer to that first step on the wire, things get more and more serious. And so the music had to uh, make that transformation as the character made the transformation. And, um, you know, when Philippe finally winds up letting go of, with his right foot from that building, uh, we're in a completely different world now, and certainly he is as well. Well, we, we are so grateful that you took the time to call in to, to our show about yes. Robert Zemeckis to talk about your career with him. Alan Silvestri, thank you so much for thank your time you. and for your stories. And for and all your work. For your, for your work. I mean, <laughs> we just love your work. And, uh, you know, we're going to do a profile on you one of these days very, yes. very soon. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. You have a great day. You too. The pleasure is ours. Thank you so much, mister. Thank Bye. you. Okay. Bye-bye. Nice. nice, nice one. Good Woo. Alan, he's so lovely. He was, he was lovely. He's really so nice. Lovely. Yeah. I love hearing. I mean, because the scores are not the same. They're so different. They're all so different. And, like, and you they, wouldn't believe they're all like, by the same person. To be able to talk about a composer who's worked on so many films with one director, it'd be like talking to John Williams about Spielberg. Yeah. You know, that's what this feels like. Yeah, for sure. And I know we were in the middle of taking care of business when we got this uh, this fantastic call. So oh, just you got, got more business. More, still a little more business.
business. Well, I was so going to say, business. make sure you go to our Facebook page, which is oh, Profiles with Malone and Mance. Like our Facebook page. It's such <laughs> a cool Facebook page, isn't it, Mish? It's a very cool Facebook page because our profilers are so active on it. I They're love it. They're so active. Our profilers are the best fans in the world. So like our Facebook page. Join in on the fun. Tell us what you think of these movies. We do read your comments on the air. Mm-hmm. You join in on the brackets, and you definitely will be the first to know who our next profile is going to be. Yes. And then also make sure, very important, you follow me and Alicia on Twitter. Oh, here we go. At Alicia Malone. <laughs> at Movie Mance. At Alicia Malone. At Movie Mance. At Alicia Malone. Oh at Movie Mance. I'd love to see that audio waveform for that. Be like, This is so literally what I look forward to every time we do profiles is the back and forth because it's all about the pause. <laughs> and all about the pause. <laughs> all about the and pause. And you can go to tpublic.com slash profiles if you want to buy a Film Geek t-shirt. And we have plans for more t-shirts oh, yes. coming very, very soon. Very so watch excited. that space. But let's keep going now with our Fast Five. Let's go to number three, which is... I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yes. Released uh, June 22nd, 1988. Uh, six Oscar nominations, three very, very well-deserved wins in editing, sound effects, and visual effects. He even got a special additional Oscar for a special achievement mm-hmm. in animation because it was such a groundbreaking, trailblazing film. Also a lot of fun to see Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse together on the screen. That's the amazing thing is the mixture of all the characters who never see share the same screen before like Daffy Duck and Donald Duck yeah and so had a mixture of characters really popular characters too not just side characters but people like Mickey Mouse so it was people from characters from Disney Warner Brothers MGM and Spielberg helped to pull this all together because he helped convince all the studios to allow their characters and it's pretty amazing that they did when you look at it because their characters like Donald and Daffy, you know, they're playing piano, piano in the bar. Piano, doing pianos. And, and they're sort of fighting with each other. Does you anybody know, understand what this duck is saying? You'd think that the, both sides might have an issue with, with what they're saying, but no, it's perfect. I love the way it sets up Toontown. <laughs> I love that this is like a Chinatown or like one of those classic I film noirs. I knew you noirs. would love this movie. I knew you would love this I've movie. I've loved this movie ever since film I was noir. so young because there's so much in there with the story. It was also really scary when I watched it when I was young. Young, like Christopher Why? Lloyd, oh. his character, particularly yeah. at the end, is terrifying uh, to, yeah, a, to totally a young person. Is. And I just thought it was so seamless. I believed in all the characters. I still watch it today, and I'm like, how did they pass that handkerchief from one to the other? How did they blend like the the audio cues as well? Because you think all those characters had to be dubbed later on, all the animated characters. And it looks so perfect. Well, that's, that's, that's the thing I was going to mention, too, is that here's a movie that came out in 1988. If you did that movie today, sure, it would be so easy to just do it with CGI. Mm-hmm. But it holds up perfectly. It, it stands does. on its own, and it gives all these other movies with the CGI a run for their money. Yeah. Even how many years after 1988 that it still holds up as strong as it does. The post-production on this film was a whopping 14 months 
And, uh, you know, like we just talked, it's so fun and clever and there's really and nothing like it. And complex with the story. There's a lot of twists and turns. There's a lot of uh, jokes about cartoons. There's a lot of jokes about movies in there. And it looks so beautiful as well, set in like 1947, I believe. I love all the costuming. And, yes, I love Jessica Rabbit. What, what is Judge Dune's projection? That traffic jams yeah, will become traffic. a thing of the past. With a freeway. I didn't get that. I can't. When no. I saw it in Philadelphia I in didn't see that. Yeah, that when I saw it in Canberra. You know, Australia. when I saw it in L.A., I'm like... Oh, now I get it. Yeah, it's actually really fun. I've said this quite a lot, but it's always fun to rewatch these movies set in LA now that I live in LA. Like, oh, yeah, now I'm great. like, oh, yeah, that, 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 that. And it's it looks hood. so classy. It's I love hood. it. Roger Ebert said at the time, that's a type of word of mouth that money cannot buy. Not only a great entertainment, but a breakthrough in craftsmanship. And Maggie Ozen, who is an amazing profiler Yay. and has one of our profiles t shirts, our Film Geek t shirts. We love Maggie. She said, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is my favorite Zemeckis film because it's a love letter to both classic animation and film noir of the time. Bob Hoskins is a fantastic and still, as the still grieving alcoholic, Detective Eddie Valiant, a character trait extremely rare in children's films, while Christopher Lloyd manages to be equally scary, which you pointed out, and eccentric. Its effects still manage to hold up to this day, which I said. Uh, what other <laughs> film will you find Disney and Looney Tunes characters interacting with each other? Maggie Ozen. Yeah, we're not taking points about who no, says mentions things. Um, <laughs> but Bob Hoskins' character, as you said, is very complex, very complicated for a uh, for a kid's film, I guess you would call it um but considered for the role also for eddie was chevy chase harrison ford bill murray before bob hoskins but i can't imagine anyone else more bob hoskins Hoskins. and danny b reviews on youtube says fun fact the shoe that the judge kills was played by nancy cartwright aka bart simpson and everyone else says poor shoe Zach Mitchell says, poor shoe. Poor shoe. Well, Peter Ford says, the first film I ever saw in cinemas was Who Framed Roger Rabbit with my dad. I was 1988, Uh, I was four years old, and my memories are still so vivid and clear today. The blending of animation and real people was seamlessly done and still holds up. I love this film, thought it was hilarious, and Jessica Rabbit gave me feelings I was too young to understand. I know the feeling. I've since passed the Roger Rabbit baton on to my kids, and they love the film. Yeah, uh, I love Roger Rabbit. Also love a lot of other Robert Zemeckis films that we're not going to get to talk about. Um, so just quickly, Death Becomes Her. Death Becomes Her. Okay, I good actually one. really like Death Becomes Her. It's from 1992. This was kind of his first dramatic, also very funny movie and the special effects, of course, yep. are wonderful. Well, I, I know we talked about I Want to Hold Your Hand. Yep. And I'm going to talk about it again. Okay. Because you have it on your hot little hands. I do. And I know you're going to watch it. You're not going to let me down. No, I'll watch You're it. going to watch it. Of and course. you're going to be like, you'll be like, Mance, I finally get it. Get you're it. going to start wearing Beatles t-shirts. You're going to start singing the songs. I like the Beatles. You're going to really the love them. You're really going to love okay. them after All this right. movie. But I also love Used Cars, which was the second film. Came out in 1980. Kurt Russell, Jack Warden in two roles. Mm-hmm. This movie is freaking hilarious. Don't forget about Contact. Contact 1997. This was his space alien movie. Great visual effects. They're probably the most impressive thing about the film. Uh, but Jodie Foster is great as well. Jodie Foster is great. I love that opening shot when it pulls back from the earth and it just pulls back on the universe and yep. it's on like her head. Yeah. 
It's really, really great opening shot. And we talked about What Lies Beneath, a movie that, honestly, I, I could have easily put in the Fast Five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's an underrated film. I could watch this it's movie very right scary now. Moment. It's scary. It's intense. And I love the twist at yeah. the end. I'm not going to spoil it here in case you haven't seen it. But I do want to mention Back to the Future Part Three. Oh, I was going to say Back to the Future Part Two. But That's you go my first. favorite. Talk Back about to the part Future two. Part Two, I really enjoyed as a kid. Not quite as good as the first one, but I love that the world expands on the first. And uh, I liked going into the future, not so much into the past, which is what they did in Back to the Future 3. See, I like Back to the Future 3 because I thought part two was fun, but they're going to the past, they're going to the future, back to the past, back in the future. What I love about part three is it just settles into the West. Yeah. And and I just, I'm, you know, not the biggest Western fan in the world, but I love how the Western aspect of part three mirrored part one yeah. but I, what I also love about part three is how the first two films were about Marty McFly the third one was about Doc Brown about Doc and that's what I loved about it I loved Flight in Flight. 2012 Very I mean Denzel good. Washington was nominated for an Oscar it's got a terrifying plane crash in it uh, also a great portrait of a man fighting his demons and then of course you have all the performance capture animation A Christmas Carol Beowulf Polar Express uh, some people love it. Some people find it a bit creepy, but it definitely pushed that art form forward. And uh, get to the brackets on our Facebook page, uh, Profiles with Malone and Mats. Cole Boone did the brackets this week, which was about yay, the... Cole. Yay, Cole! which is about the best uh, Robert Zemeckis movie scenes. So it came down to the Clock Tower finale from Back to the Future 2, I mean Back to the Future, <laughs> versus Johnny Be Good from Back to the Future. <laughs> then... The plane crash in flight versus forest runs across America and forest camp. Yep. So down to the final two, which was between the clock tower finale versus the plane crash in flight. Guess who won? Which was the Back best? To the future. Yes, the best movie scene, as voted by our profilers on our Facebook page, is the clock tower finale from Back to the Future. Save. Whoop, whoop. The clock tower. Save the clock tower. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious stuff. Is it time for us to call our special guest? We're going to try calling our special guest right now. Hopefully our special guest will be on the other line to take the call. Yeah. So we don't know. We're we're told that, you know, maybe this person will answer directly. Maybe they won't, but um, We're gonna keep I think our it's going to be interesting. That, uh, let's see who answers. Let's see who answers. You never know. That's the beauty of doing oh. this live. Let's wait and see. Let's see. Ringing? The phone is ringing. ringing. The phone is ringing. And hopefully this person will answer. Come on. And hello. hello. Is this Christopher Lloyd? Speaking. Yay! Christopher Lloyd. Thank you so much. <laughs> This is Scott and Alicia. The show is called Profiles, and this week we are profiling the great Robert Zemeckis, and we are so thrilled to talk with you about the making of great films like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and the Back to the Future trilogy. Well, great. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to you. I just rewatched Back to the Future today for the millionth time, <laughs> and I was thinking it still holds up. It's a timeless film in a way. Why do you think that's the case? Well, um, I, I feel it's very much a family film. Uh, adults seem to enjoy it as much as uh, children do, young people. Um, it, it, of course, is... Um, sort of centered on time travel 
And I, I think everybody sometime in their lives, maybe more than once, imagines what it would be like and wish they could go back to a certain time in history, or whether it's go back 10 years or, or 10,000, or uh, at the same time wishing they could go to the future, see whatever they want to see at a certain time in the future. Everybody has that it's kind of a, um, a universal fantasy. Um, I think we all have it one time or another. And the Back to the Future trilogy really exploits that that fantasy. Well, how did you how did you come to be cast as Doc Emmett Brown? And what was your first impression of Robert Zemeckis when you met him? Uh, well, I I had a lot of uh, um, uncertainty about whether I want, wanted to do the film or not. I was away on location somewhere, and my agent sent me the script, and I read it. At the same time, I got an offer to go back to New York and do a play, and I kind of felt maybe that's what I should be doing, since that's where my roots were, sort of, uh, in the theater. Uh, so I was I was uncertain about it, and uh, I went to L.A. and, and sat down with Bob, and we talked, and um, he, he didn't have to convince me. I just really, really liked him and felt very confident with him and secure, and uh, so I jumped for it. Wow. And then when you were working with him, how collaborative was he on set? Uh, I'm sorry, how was that? How collaborative was he on set when it came to creating the character of Doc Brown? Oh, he's 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 great to to work with. Um, he has the ex- he has such a uh, a feeling for all the technology that's available today to to uh, create any kind of of um, anything, you know, or, or special effects. Whatever uh, it, it's it's complicated, and he just gloms to it. He he understands it immediately, and he knows how to facilitate that to make his stories real in in terms of the their reality. Uh, and at the same time, he has a real, natural, unforced feeling about how to communicate to actors. Um, very deftly knows what to say at the right moment to get what he wants from from the cast, and, and uh, he's not dictatorial. He's he's just quietly uh, says what he has to say, and he gets the performances he wants. So he's gifted, uh, and then he, he he's a superb director. I mean, he said he knows so well how to make a film and how to make Anything that's going on in the film happen at work, uh, and, and he's a he's a really nice guy. <laughs> he's um, a really nice guy, yeah. You know, and, and, and and personal, and, and uh, no problem you may have is too too small for him to help you out and, and work it out. Uh, I I, uh, um, I I have nothing but the greatest respect and admiration for him. Well, one of the things, you know, when you're making this movie, how long into the production did you realize that this was really going to be a special movie? Did you have any idea 30 years after the fact that people would still hold it with such high regard? 
Uh, I had no idea. <laughs> I mean, I, I was just hoping that the opening of Back to the Future 1 would uh, please the audience, that they love it and everything, and that turned out to be so. Uh, and then there was the concerns uh, when we started shooting Back to the Future 2 and 3 consecutively, one right after the other, that those films would work, because uh, so often... Uh, sequels don't measure up to the first impressions from the from the initial movie, but it just kept getting better all the time. Yeah, and then it just went on, um, and uh, so many generations have watched the film, and their children have watched it, and they've grown up, and their children, are, you know, it, it's it's an audience which keeps growing. Um, so, yeah. but I I I never anticipated that uh, we'd be here today <laughs> celebrating the 30th, 30th anniversary. Um, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't foresee that. Oh, it's such amazing that we're still talking about it and it's still so fantastic. And I think one of the uh, things I love about Back to the Future is the relationship between Marty McFly and Doc Brown. When it came to you yeah. and Michael J. Fox, how quickly did you create that relationship, that chemistry together? Well, uh, it, it, it just sort of was there. Uh, we didn't have to sit down for a long time or with, with Bob and think, about what is the chemistry between them? What do they find in each other that that makes their relationship so exciting? It was simply manifest. It was it was there between us from the first shot until uh, the last shot of Back to the Future Three. The chemistry simply existed, um, which you know, of course, is is great casting. Um, yeah, it, it, it simply was there. So we, we really didn't have to work for that chemistry that hard. Well, well, right after doing Back to the Future, Zemeckis raised the bar big time with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So what was it like working on such a massive production that blended animation and live action? And what kind of – how was uh, uh, Robert Zemeckis with like overcoming those challenges to make just such a seamless film? Uh, I, I didn't quite get the question. Uh, well, just like like how was it working with Zemeckis on Who Framed Roger Rabbit because of that the way that movie was just such a big scale production that had never been done before. Yeah, and, uh, it, that was great. I mean, it was it was complicated because you had all these animated characters that during the shot you had to imagine they existed, but imagine they were there. And there was some handling of a, uh, on on screen of the animated characters. Uh, we had a pantomist on the set who kind of uh, helped us know what muscles, how how the weight of Roger Rabbit. So they had a dummy Roger Rabbit there, uh, which was about three or four feet tall, and it, it had weight. And we would practice the scene with the dummy, and. Um, and then when when it was time to shoot, we'd pantomime, uh, you know. So we we had a lot of preparation and a focus on on creating the reality of those animated figures existing uh, three dimensionally while we, we were working. And your character scared me a lot <laughs> as a kid. Such a great character. 
your character. Who are terrifying. So when you think about your time working with Robert Zemeckis on all these movies, what are some of your fondest memories? Um, I golly, I, I, it's hard to single one out. I, I mean, a lot, a lot of the scenes had so many different elements going on at the same time within each take. Uh, there was always movement and things going on and other characters and the DeLorean and, and all of that. And it, he, he would just put it all together and it all worked out and put it all together and make each element uh, significant and work within the whole. Um, and, and, and I never felt that um, he sweated it, you know, that he was like ever in a moment of not knowing what to do or how to do the next piece. Um, he just he has an innate uh, ability to imagine what he wants and how to set it up to make it happen the way he wants. It's uh, it's extraordinary. Wow. Well, listen. As I say, there's there's so much technical elements yeah. going on along with the live actors, uh, and he had a way of making everybody feel comfortable and uh, able to do their work. Well, we are we are so grateful for all the work you have done and, and of course, your work with Mr. Zemeckis. And we are very grateful that you took the time to talk with us on Profiles about Robert Zemeckis. Christopher Roy, thank you so, so much. And thank have a you. great, great day. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that, you know, when I came and met Bob Zemeckis initially, uh, I sat down with him and we, we talked. And I just felt right away... Uh, I'm I'm in in good hands with this man. He he, he knows what I can do. I, he he asked me what my ideas were, and I told him uh, in terms of makeup, the hair, and, and all of that. And he just said, "Yeah," he nodded. That sounds good. Oh, that's I knew great. I had his uh, I had his endorsement with my what what I wanted to do with uh, with Doc, and I just you know uh, went ahead and did it. It was great. Well, That's amazing. thank you. Thank you so much for sharing thank your story. Thank you stories. so much. We appreciate it. We really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank uh, you. Bye-bye. Bye. So long. Thank you. Bye. Great Scott. At one point there, he said, golly, and I thought he was about to say, great Scott. Like, oh, uh, golly, great uh, Scott. Would it be great if he said, great Scott? Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. That's cool. I get to high five. Yay. Awesome. Yes. Respect that is how we roll. Brown, can I, can I get in a DeLorean and then go back to me as a child and tell her that she will get to speak with Christopher Lloyd, Doc Brown, at some point? Where would you want to go? Imagine. I would, I would just go back to her and say, like, hey, guess what? You're going to have a show called Profiles. You're going to get to talk to all these cool people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Billy Polahan says, uh, oh, no, Timothy Husak says, one of the best interviews ever. And Bill Polahan says, up there with Coppola. Zach Mitchell says, congrats. And Tyler Myers says, another fantastic interview. Thank you so much. Thank it's you so much, Profiles. Because of you guys loving it that we get to talk to these people. So thank you. Yes. I would go back, if I had a Dorian, I would go back to February 9th, 1964. Course, you know the exact date. And I would be the sixth teenager trying to get into the Beatles on the It's All Isn't the Show. Isn't it like 
like this movie. I want to hold your girls? hand. Which, Would it be all the girls with you? Uh, yes. No, no. There's a couple guys <laughs> oh, there. That? Okay. I'm telling you, Leash, you're going to love this movie. Okay. Yeah. I, I, this is this is the running joke for this show. Okay. Is getting Alicia to watch a movie about the Beatles. I'll watch it. I'll yes! watch it. I'm but so excited. Get an advance high five when I want to hold your hand. Okay. Well, yes. let's get into our fast five. Number, Number two, two, which is my mom always said. Life was like a box of chocolates. <laughs> you never you know, know what you're going to get. Ah, oh, yes, you left Forrest it in. Gump. Forrest Gump, released July 6, 1994. 13, count of 13 Oscar nominations. Six wins, including Best Picture, Best Actor for Tom Hanks, and Best Director for Robert Zemeckis. Cost $55 million to make. Seems kind of low by yeah. these standards. Made $678 million worldwide an innovative classic and epic comedy drama it is i mean it's popular to hate on this movie and while i'm definitely like team pulp fiction and team shawshank <laughs> it's very sweet it's still effective this has the right amounts of whimsy and drama a simple story with a really really big heart it's kind of like a it's funny because it's a simple story but at the same time it's an odyssey journey story and of course it has those incredible special effects which put forrest gump in in with JFK, in with Lennon, in with Nixon, and more that was thanks to Industrial Light and Magic, who he also worked with on Roger Rabbit. So it was seamless, seamless. again, putting him in there. I remember watching it as a child and going, is they really in those? No, that doesn't work with the timeline. I love his character. It's so innocent and so optimistic innocent as and well. Optimistic Positive. and inspiring because Very he's inspiring. so optimistic. This is a pop cultural milestone about pop culture, one that Roger Ebert called a magical movie and Rolling Stone said a movie heartbreaker of oddball wit and startling grace mm-hmm. and are one of our profiles. If it's on, I'll always watch it. Yeah, I will too. I mean, It's I, ambitious I, and listen, beautiful. 94 was a good year that you had really Pulp Fiction year. and Shawshank Redemption and then Amazing. Forrest Gump actually won. But Billy Powahan says Forrest Gump is one of those films that changed my life from the opening scene of The Feather Floating Down, like mm-hmm. Alan Silvestri just talked about, to our protagonist to the beautiful score by Alan Silvestri that accompanies this film. I love everything about it. Being mildly autistic myself, Forrest showed me I can do anything and see how beautiful life is considering it all happens to a simple-minded man. As Forrest Gump said, I'm not a smart man but I know what love is Mm -hmm. and that perfectly sums up my feeling about this classic. I love this film. I will show it to my children. Film geek hashtag profile for life. So many uh, quotable lines. Our profiles are talking about them now. Tyler Scott says, Lieutenant Dan, I Cream. <laughs> Caitlin Bond says, Dear God, please make me a bird so I can fly far, far, far away. Oh, I love that Aww. line. Uh, Tyler Scott says, He was a ping pong champion. Marcus Ta- Townsend says, I'm sorry I started a fight in your Black Panther party. <laughs> I love this movie. And Isaac Sage says, Forrest Gump is my in my top 10 films of all time and it could end up being my favorite. I never cry at movies, but I found it hard to hold back tears at many moments in these films, well, which I'll not say due to spoilers. Tom Hanks and Robert Wright give a astounding performance and take their characters through so much. The film also innovated in technology and sends an amazing message about life and never giving up. Hashtag film geek, hashtag profiler for life. I love the character of Jenny. She goes through so much. And she goes through so much. It's a really touching character. But now I think that brings us to, to number, number one, right? Number one in our fast five. Has which to be. Has to be. Roads? Well, we're going. We don't need roads. Uh-huh. 
Back, Back to, to the, the Future, future. <laughs> released July third, nineteen eighty five. Cost nineteen million to make. Box office three hundred and eighty nine million dollars worldwide. It was the highest grossing film of nineteen eighty five. Four Oscar nominations, one win for sound effects. Back to the Future is a brilliant movie. Yeah, it is I a think you would film. say it's a perfect screenplay. It is a perfect screenplay. No scene is wasted. The characters are fully developed. The logic is thought through. And it all links up with each other. It all everything, comes together. Everything that they talk about in the first act pays off throughout the rest of the film. Yep. Nothing, No moment is wasted. It's a masterpiece movie. And definitely one, if I was going to teach a class on screenwriting, Back to the Future would be the screenplay I would teach. Yeah. The, Dialogue is great. I mean, they just don't make movies like this anymore. I was thinking about this as I watched a movie recently where it was very open-ended, left for a sequel, which is all about making a franchise and selling toys and creating these universes. And even though Back to the Future became a franchise, they didn't go into it thinking about it in that way. And they, yeah, it's open for a sequel at the end, but not in the same lazy way as today, which just like leaves it completely open-ended. It is still a complete story with... With, with itself. I love that screenwriter Bob Gale was inspired to make this when he saw his father's high school yearbook and he wondered if he and his dad would have been friends when they were teenagers. And you look at it, I mean, it, yeah, it's got this concept of time travel and it's got special effects, but it's really just a simple story of a kid trying to keep his parents together in a small town. I mean, that is pretty low stakes, pretty but well. it's got high concept and it works together. It's not complicated at all. And the special effects themselves aren't even that high budget. No, it only it didn't have that many special effects shots. No, but it's 32. also the the friendship between Doc Brown and Marty. Yeah, it's the heart of this movie. No question about it. I love it. Uh, it gave this movie the power. Power of love, the New York Times said. (laughs) Robert Zemeckis is able to both keep the story moving and keep it from going too far. He handles Back to the Future with the kind of inventiveness that indicates he will be spinning funny, whimsical tales for many, many years to come. It's amazing that it could be icky with the mother starting to fall for her son, but it stops from being that. Robert Zemeckis also has kept every rejection letter he got from every single studio about Back to the Future. Uh, some thought it was uh, not edgy enough for a teenage film, and then Disney thought it was a bit too racy because of that relationship. But it's not icky at all. As we said, it's a perfect script. It's timeless, as well as being a perfect 80s classic. It's an 80s classic that takes place in the 50s. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, that's it's like, wait, that's is it a really 50s cool. movie or an 80s movie? It could work in either decade. The head of Universal wanted this title to be Spaceman from Pluto. <laughs> and Steven Spielberg, who produced the film, wrote back and said, ha-ha, that's like real funny. Good, good, <laughs> good joke. But my question for you is, when was the first time you saw Back to the Future? Well, it was, it was after Who Framed Roger Rabbit, so I think I got into it quite late. And I saw it. I would have seen it at home um, on VHS, yeah, not in the cinema, but I I loved it. I saw that one, and then straight away I went and saw Back to the Future 2, and then I remember when Back to the Future 3 came out on VHS, I got that as well. What about you? I saw it on July 3rd, 1985, in Philadelphia. Which was when it opened, right? Which is when it opened, and... Uh, oh, we have a call coming in. Should we, we have answer a call it? coming in? It Let's be, answer this call. It could be very timely. This could be very, very apropos. Hello? Hello? Hi. Hi. Is this Leah Thompson? Yeah. Yay! Hey! Hey! (laughs) We are 
so excited, Leah Thompson. Thank you so much for calling into Profiles. Your timing is absolutely perfect. We are talking as we speak about the trilogy you made with Robert Zemeckis, the Back to the Future trilogy. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem. We appreciate so you exciting. taking the time because I know that you're busy. We were just speaking with Christopher Lloyd about Back to the Future and, and why it's so timeless, even though it is now almost 30 years old. Yeah. What would you say? Why is this such a special movie so many years well, later? Well, I think it's, you know, it's just it's so beautifully constructed. It's so lovely the, the way the script plays out. It's so funny and poignant. And interesting, and I think, you know, it's a story that I think we all kind of, you know, wonder about what it would be like to travel back in time, and then the idea of, like, meeting your parents when they were young, and who they were, and and the, the, also the really, for me, I think that it's, it's a very deep concept that the idea that one moment can change your whole life, like one moment of courage could make your life either good or bad, mm. like, you know, it's not a rehearsal. Like, you have to be on guard your whole life and try to do the right thing at the right time. And I think I think that's really profound for people and, and, and a deep message that you want to tell your kids. Yes. You know? Well, you know. One, one that you were, you know, you were a person, too. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. And secondly, that, you know, you know, take your life seriously, you know. Stand up for yourself at the right time and things will be better for you. Well, we were talking about just how brilliant the screenplay by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale is. What did you think the first time you read this thing? Like, what ran through your mind? Well, I was just, you know, amazed. I mean, I thought this is the greatest part I've ever read. <laughs> it was funny. It was sweet. It was sexy. It was weird. You know, it was an opportunity to play these the same as three same aspects of the same character, which is which is really interesting. And, you know, as an actor, it was just super exciting. And then, you know, if you add Bob Zemeckis like, and, and Steven Spielberg, it was like the opportunity of a lifetime. So um, I just was so excited. You know? <laughs> I just loved it. I loved it. Yeah. And, you know, I've always had an off-kilter sense of humor, and I found that this was super off-kilter. <laughs> <laughs> and Robert Zemeckis, he has a great sense of humor. I've gotten to speak with him just briefly a couple of times, but you can really see that he loves his job. What is he like when he's on set? Well, for me, that was like my most joyous experience of the movie was oh. watching him when things went right, you know, like just the glee he would get at, at thinking up something new and, and, and when a moment worked and when something that he conceived in his head with Bob Gale came, came to fruition, um, you know, there's no better gift for an actor than to, to make the director and the writer really happy, at least as far as I'm concerned. So I just loved his glee, you know, how much joy he got. Well, when you watch this movie and you just see the dynamic between Doc Brown and, of course, Marty McFly and Lorraine, I mean, Michael J. Fox was so wonderful as Marty, but he had to shoot the movie at night because he was filming Family Ties during the day. I mean, what was it like working with him, especially while he was juggling two very different projects at the same time? He was, you know, exhausted, but, you know, <laughs> young. And he his comedy chops are so sharp, you know. I mean, I really... I try to tell young comedians nowadays, like, watch the old movies, watch Buster Keaton, watch, you know, watch Laurel and Hardy, watch the Three Stooges, you know, they did some amazing things, and 
you know, he knew. He knew how to get a laugh. He knew how to fall off a chair. He knew how to spit take. He knew how to double take. You know, he used them all. He didn't mess around. You know, he went <laughs> straight to the playbook of the of the comic geniuses. And uh, you know, people don't study that anymore. And he he is amazing. You know, the voice cracking at the right moment, the whole thing. <laughs> He he is not only like a great everyman, but he was a great physical comedian. And um, you know, I was really impressed, and I've been impressed as I watch it as a as a director now, and as a as a more seasoned actress. Just mm. just the way he used everything to make it funny and relatable. You know, the way he skateboarded, the way he he would rehearse like how to flip the skateboard up and how to jump over a curb and. You know, he would rehearse those things, how to open up a, a gate. And, you know, he was just so cool. Like, wow. kids would watch that and be like, I wish I was that cool. But <laughs> it was very well thought out. He definitely was cool. And do you remember the first time you saw the film with an audience and what that experience was like? The first time I saw it with an audience? Yeah. Um, I, it was just, a, it was amazing. It was a, it was a cast and crew screening and like everyone was just transfixed and like amazed at the end. And that, you know, usually people are so obsessed with their job. They don't really get to see the movie, but the movie was so good. It took us away from our own, you know, egos and into the story. And that, that is the ultimate, you know, cast and, and crew screening. Yeah. Well, well, in, in doing the two films, the two sequels, rather, that was like the first time that two movies were shot back to back like that. And of course, leave it to Robert Zemeckis to follow a film like Who Framed Roger Rabbit with another ambitious project that that was a trailblazer. So what was it like working with on not just one movie, but two movies with Zemeckis back to back like that? It was, uh, it was exhausting for him. I mean, I didn't have I had a pretty big part in Back to Future 2, but Back to Future 3 was pretty minimal, so I didn't really get to appreciate how hard it was on him. I mean, I know he had, like, like pneumonia. Like, he almost died after the second movie was over, or the third movie was over. So, it was really, it's really exhausting, and I'm, like, right now, I'm directing a movie, and it's only, like, a month, and I'm, you know, I'm into the third, fourth week of it, and I'm exhausted. I don't know how he did it, how those directors do it for a full year. It's you can never stop thinking. You know, you you're always on your feet, and you can't stop thinking. So, I, I I'm the biggest fan of Balzanekis. I think he's an you know an absolute genius. So, yeah, I don't I have nothing more to say about that except he's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Do you have any fondest memories uh, of working with Robert Zemeckis, or is it just an overall good feeling? Of watching what? Of working with him. Like a fond, your fondest memory. Oh, working, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Um, like I said, <coughs> his glee and joy at when th- something went right, you know. And now I can, re- like I said, I can relate to it because I'm a director. And, like, it's so exciting when um, when everything comes together and everybody's work is, is, uh, is there at the right time, at the right moment, peaks together. Uh, you know, he just has a great sense of humor and... Um, really enjoy filmmaking. Well, is it true that you still have the dress that you wore at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance? Yeah, I do. Yes! <laughs> oh, that's so cool. <laughs> well, listen. I do. And it was lucky that I had it because when we went to do Back to the Future 2, they had made three of those dresses. And when we went to do Back to the Future 2, they couldn't find them. So I was, I got to, I got to lend them back their own dress. Oh, that's funny. And awesome. I can't get in it anymore, of course, but I try every once in a while. Well, listen, Leah Thompson, we are, we are so 
grateful that you called in. Your timing was perfect. You must have had the DeLorean standing by because <laughs> because this was really, really a joy to talk with you about the making of these movies and of working with Robert Zemeckis. Best of luck on your film. Can't wait to and see we it. cannot wait to see it. Thank you so much. It's called The Year of Spectacular Men. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Leah. Have a great day. Bye. Bye-bye. Just that in the nick of time. was perfect. Woo! That was perfect. That's a perfect ending to our show, I think. I think that is a perfect ending, but we got to take care of business one last oh, okay. time. Okay, do it quick. Real quick, iTunes, subscribe to Profiles, rate and review us. YouTube.com backslash Popcorn Talk Network. Subscribe and share. Go to our Facebook page. Go to our Facebook page, Profiles with Malone and Mance. Yes. So, you know, like our page. Join in on the fun. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance, at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance, tick, 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 at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance. Woo-hoo! Once again, the rundown, number five for Robert Zemeckis Profiles. Number five is Cast, Cast Away. Away. Number four, Romancing, Romancing the, the Stone. Stone. Number three, Who, Who Framed Roger, Roger Rabbit. Rabbit. Number two, Forrest Gump. Gump. Number one, Great Scott. It's Back, Back to, to the, the Future. Woo-hoo! And Thank the book you so is much to everyone for watching live and listening to us and watching later on. We appreciate it. We are very grateful. Oh, that was a good show. That was a very fun show we'll be back real soon until the next time bye from producers maria menounos kevin undergaro phil svitek christian harloff and the entire popcorn talk network we would like to thank you for tuning in for questions or comments be sure to visit popcorntalk.com i'm sir richard wentworth and this has been a presentation of the popcorn talk network the views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals 